0: She Persisted offers you a safe space to feel validated and understood in your struggle while encouraging you to take ownership of your journey and build your life worth living. So let's dive in. Before we get into this episode, as I'm sure you could tell from the title, I would like to give a trigger warning for topics like suicidal ideation and suicide attempts. I encourage you to take care of your mental health first, and so if that means not listening to this episode to avoid being triggered, then do that, set that boundary, do what is best for you. A caveat, if you're still on the fence, this is a very skills-heavy and education-focused episode. I tried to really stay away from graphics, so nothing crazy in here, but just if that topic is triggering to you, here's your little trigger warning. Hello, hello, and welcome back to She Persisted. I'm a little bit nervous for this week's episode. It's a vulnerable topic. It's an important topic, which is why I wanted to do a solo episode on it. It hits very close to home, so definitely a little bit nervous to talk about this. But I am hoping that this episode will be helpful for you guys and that it will provide some tips and support that will help you in your journey. So with that, today's episode is about suicide prevention and suicidal ideation. If you didn't know, September is Suicide Prevention Month, And so I wanted to do a little mini series of sorts talking about how you can navigate suicidal ideation, how to support someone struggling with suicidal ideation, and speak from not only what worked for me, but about what the evidence shows is helpful as far as resources. Next week's episode is a really exciting interview with a fellow teen in the mental health space. Her name is Adia, she works very closely with Dee Dee Hirsch. She is actually one of the people that picks up the phones if you call 988. So we talk about what happens if you call 988, what to expect if you ever call a hotline or a helpline, what questions they ask, some common tips that she gives that you can help implement. It's just an amazing conversation. And we talk a lot about the, the evidence and the research and the suicide prevention space, the do's and don'ts, all of that kind of stuff, and it's a very helpful, amazing episode that I've never seen anyone do in the podcast space before, so I'm very excited about that. But today's episode is going to be a solo episode, and I'm going to touch on my journey give you a whole bunch of tips and tricks and resources and skills that worked for me when I struggled with suicidal ideation. So it's going to be a lot. I also wanted to give a trigger warning at this point. I am going to touch on my journey. I'm not going to go into any graphics or any details. It's going to be very skills heavy, very resource focused because I think that will be what will be most helpful without triggering anyone or adding fuel to the fire, if you will. So To begin to give you a little bit of background, when I started struggling with depression, I was not struggling with suicidal ideation. I noticed I began to get suicidal after my first or second hospitalization, when that kind of hopelessness set in. And I would say it was kind of tied to having an understanding of what I was experiencing. I was struggling with depression. I had a lot of emotions that were very overwhelming and big and difficult to navigate. And on top of that, I wasn't really feeling a difference in these emotions, feelings, diagnoses, etc. I was trying a lot of different things. I was doing outpatient and inpatient and DBT and all these different things, but I wasn't seeing a shift in my mood or my ability to cope. And so with that lack of improvement, I started to feel a sense of hopelessness. And if you've heard me talk about my story before, you know that I talk about those two years of treatment at home with... And, and now increased sense of nuance, which is that I didn't believe that I was going to not be depressed, which again, the hopelessness was there. I didn't think that I deserved to be happy. My self-esteem was so shot and I was going to all these resources, whether it was inpatient treatment or outpatient therapy or group therapy, but I didn't believe it was going to work. I didn't think I was deserving of getting better. And so just like, manifesting i feel is the best way to explain this if you don't believe something's gonna happen it's not going to happen and that's true if you're training for a marathon or pursuing a degree or getting better at a scale if you are so sure and certain that it's not going to work it probably won't and that was true of my recovery especially in the early days so i was really hopeless i felt really overwhelmed and i started to experience suicidal ideation And that went on for probably a year or two years. It culminated in a suicide attempt before I went to 3East. And when I noticed a shift in this symptom presentation being suicidal ideation, it was when I decided that I was no longer going to have suicide as an option on the quote-unquote back burner in my life. I realized in a therapy session at McLean that the way I operated through any challenge, whether it was a difficult emotion or a therapy appointment or a tough conversation with my parents, anything and everything in my life, there was always this voice in the back of my mind saying, well, you know what? If it gets really bad, there's always this option. Or if things are just really terrible, it's okay. I don't have to experience that. And keeping that on the back burner came at a huge deficit to me because I wasn't invested in my progress. It was always like this, like one foot out the door, one foot in the door, like if this works, great, but also whatever, because there's this other option. And so I was in this therapy appointment. I realized, okay, this is how I'm operating through life. And this is why I can't stop feeling the suicidal ideation. At this point, at this therapy appointment during my time at Three East, I forgot to mention, if you are not familiar with my story, halfway through my freshman year of high school, I went to a residential treatment program called 3East at McLean Hospital. It was a dialectical behavioral therapy program. I was there for 14 weeks, and that's where I really saw a shift in my depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation. So, During my time there, I was in this therapy appointment, and I had started to see improvements in my mood. I had started to see some behavioral changes, so my sleep was improving. I was starting to be vulnerable with my parents. My ability to use my coping skills was improving, so I was seeing shifts, but I still was really struggling with the suicidal ideation. And so, I was in this therapy session. We're talking through this, and my therapist asked me something that allowed me to get to the realization that this is how I think about life. I have this thing on the back burner. And she was like, that's that's the problem here. This is why you're still feeling suicidal. This is why you're still having this ideation is because you always see that as an option. And because I had, seeing these small shifts, I was starting to gain a little bit of hope. I was starting to feel what my life worth living really could be. I was able to say, okay, I can make this jump. I can decide this is no longer going to be my back burner. This is no longer going to be in the cards. I trust myself to cope with any emotions that arise. I trust myself to navigate any challenges that come my way. And I trust myself to persist through that without having this back burner option. Of suicide and that making that decision would not have been possible six months prior because there was no hope I hadn't made any progress so I didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel where it was like I know what it feels like to be happy and okay and I can keep working towards that goal no matter what comes my way because I just I didn't know what that was like. I was blindly stumbling towards this idea of getting better. I didn't trust that that would happen for me i didn't trust that i was capable of feeling that so it took some small shifts it took some progress for me to be able to make that commitment but once i made that commitment the way that i approached everything shifted so instead of when i had a tough urge or a tough emotion or a rough day or an uncomfortable conversation Instead of kind of toying and playing around with that idea of like, well, if things are really that bad, there's always this option, I would like nip that thought, that urge, that idea in the butt immediately. And I would say no. My life worth living does not include having suicide as a plan B, as a back burner, as a second option. That's not the life I want to live. That's not the life I'm living. So no. Even in the worst case scenario, even if this is incredibly challenging and embarrassing and overwhelming and difficult and stressful... I'm going to cope with that and it's going to be okay and I will get to the other side and there is no plan B worst case scenario second option that I will engage in. And it took a long time. It took months for those thoughts to start going away. But every single time I would have them, I would, in my mind, reconvince myself that I'd made this commitment, I'd made this decision, and that actually wasn't an option. And we're going to get into like how suicidal ideation, I like to think of it as a habit rather than just an urge or an intrusive thought and why it takes so long to rewire. But with time, with continuing to stick to my decision, my commitment I'd made to myself, those thoughts slowly started to go away. And I want to remind you that this wasn't an overnight thing. I can pinpoint this moment, this therapy session as a shift, but it took many months after that to get to the point where I wouldn't have a suicidal thought, passive or active, for months, years at a time. And if there was anything in my treatment journey that was like a progressive trajectory it was that it was that commitment to no longer feeling suicidal because I just kept reaffirming that commitment I just kept reminding myself that this is what my life worth living is and this suicidal ideation doesn't fit in with that and so I'm gonna let that go and just continuing with time to rewire that habit behavior thought urge I really did see a difference So that is kind of my story, very boiled down. Again, we're staying away from graphics. That's not going to be helpful to you because our stories are all different. But that commitment, I think, is helpful to share because I think that is something that a lot of people can relate to and that I think is common on a lot of people's journeys. And it was such a light bulb moment in my therapy journey through EAST. Another thing that I want to touch on when I mentioned seeing those small shifts, to give a little bit more clarity there, those small shifts that allowed me to feel hope towards the light at the end of the tunnel, the life worth living, the feeling happy, feeling okay, not being depressed. Some of those examples in the early days was not waking up immediately depressed, like maybe five minutes after I got up, I was like, oh, don't feel great today. But there was this amazing shift from having 24 hours a day feeling like numb and hopeless and overwhelmed to waking up in the morning and not immediately feeling terrible. So that was one thing I remember being something that brought me a lot of hope. Using skills effectively. You guys know I love coping skills, but getting better at being able to navigate emotions, getting better at being able to advocate for myself or be vulnerable or tolerate distress was something that also brought a lot of hope because it meant that down the line, no matter what challenges I encountered, I could cope with them and I would be okay. And then the last thing that I'll mention, and I'll go into more depth on this later during our skills education, was putting off engaging in an urge for a given period of time. This is one of the key skills, not only in exposure therapy, which I've done an episode on before, but in navigating suicidal ideation and just urges in general, no matter what urges you're struggling with, is making a commitment that's really small at the beginning. It's like, okay, I am not going to engage in this suicidal ideation for 30 seconds. I'm going to put off engaging in this for a minute or five minutes, or 10 minutes, or an hour. And slowly but surely, you make it through the night, you make it through the day, you make it through the week. So being able to sit with the discomfort, being able to ride the wave of the urge for a day, a week, a month, brought me a lot of hope because it was like, okay, I can navigate this level of challenge and it won't derail me, it won't cause me immense stress and overwhelm, and things won't implode. I am capable of handling life and these urges and not allowing it to completely collapse everything around me. Nothing's going to implode, the world will continue to spin, etc. So those are three things that brought me a lot of hope. They'll probably be different for you, but getting clear on what those things are, whether you write them down on a list, maybe they're always front of mind, is really helpful And giving you a destination that you're working towards and being able to stay true to that commitment and all of those things I feel like are pretty reasonable using a skill putting off an urge having a moment throughout the day when you feel a little bit more okay than you normally do none of those are insane like oh I'm gonna run a marathon and that'll give me hope because I can do anything like no you're it's baby steps baby goals and those brought me a lot of hope So the next thing that I want to touch on is some little things that I've learned during my time at Penn in my psychology classes that I think are helpful to keep in mind if you're struggling with suicidal ideation. They put things in perspective. They remind you that the thoughts going through your head aren't always true. The first is that as human beings, we are really flawed in our ability to predict how things pan out. And you're probably like, of course we are. We can't predict the future. But when you ask people... In 10 years, how important will this test be? How important will this relationship be to me? How much will I love this band that I'm obsessed with right now? People predict that it will be like a 100% correlation. In 10 years, this will still be my favorite band. This test directly impacted the job that I'm at now. This relationship was so pivotal. We're now married with kids, etc. That is so not the case. When you follow people 10 years down the line and ask them, oh, how was that test? What about that band? What happened to that relationship? People are like, what are you talking about? That is so irrelevant to my current place of functioning and the life that I live. Whatever it is, the point is that We are really, really bad at impacting how things will turn out. So whatever stressors are currently consuming you, whatever relationships are feeling difficult, whatever emotions are becoming overwhelming, it's important to remind yourself that when your brain tells you this is going to be so important in the future, this is night or day, it's life and death, everything is dependent on this, I promise you it's not. And the science backs that up. The next thing is a piece of wisdom that came to light on the podcast. I talk about this all the time. I'll link the episode in the show notes. It is an interview with Dr. Blaise Aguirre, who is one of my doctors at 3East. Things really come full circle. But the idea is that life is impermanent and that impermanence will be on your side. Nothing lasts forever, at least at the same level of consistency that's an emotion a thought an urge a relationship a behavior things are constantly fluctuating and changing and that is true for suicidal ideation that is true for the emotions that can lead to that the things in your life and so when you are having a really rough day a really rough thought a really rough urge notice how the intensity of it increases and decreases and i still to this day when i'm having a tough emotion a tough day a tough moment I remind myself this will pass because by the laws of the universe, nothing is permanent and this emotion-thought-urge-relationship dynamic will pass too because that can't last forever. And so that's something like a little mantra that gives me a lot of hope. And then the last thing that I want to touch on that I've kind of been toying around with this idea recently is that suicidal ideation can be so difficult to quit if we can use that term because I feel like the way that I've always thought about suicidal ideation is through the OCD model. You have an intrusive thought, it then causes all these emotions, it's like a spiral effect that leads to these behaviors and maybe impacts your relationships. But I found it a lot more accurate and effective to think about it as a bit of a habit, but also a self-soothing mechanism. Because for me, when I had a difficult day, month, emotion, urge, thought, all of these things that would trigger these thoughts, having this back burner idea was really calming to me. It was really soothing to me. It was, well, (laughs) if all goes to hell, there's always this escape patch. There's always this plan B. There's always this way to not have to feel this terrible. So every single time I would engage in a suicidal ideation, I would be decreasing my emotional intensity. It was like calming. It was self-soothing. It was making me feel better. So what makes it so difficult to recover or quit these thoughts and urges is that they're not only intrusively entering your mind, but you have trained yourself to utilize these thoughts as a way to soothe your emotions. And it's become a coping skill. And so when you are trying to quit these thoughts or urges, You not only have to learn to say, no, that thought's actually not true, I don't like that, but you have to replace the coping mechanism. You have to find a new way to deal with the emotions that arise that you would previously soothe with a thought, if that makes sense. So... There's a lot of different ways you could go about that. I really like the book Atomic Habits, which is just about habit making and breaking, and it talks a lot about the science behind it, when it's easier to make a habit, when it's easier to break a habit. It talks about, like, habit stacking. Like You could apply this to anything, whether it's your morning routine or trying to work out more, anything and everything. But I think this has a really interesting application to suicidal ideation because, You can think about every time you engage in a suicidal thought as reinforcing that habit and making it stronger, increasing that neural pathway. Whereas when you do that rewiring that I just touched on, where you're like, no, you know, actually, this isn't in my life worth living, and I don't agree with that, and this is not something that I want to entertain, you are not only breaking that initial habit, but you're building a new habit. And so that's another way that kind of helped me was to like add some tallies to the side of making the new habit and take some away from this side and it felt like I was making progress in the right direction if that makes sense. Today's episode is brought to you by teen counseling. If you are struggling with suicidal ideation and not already utilizing a mental health professional as a resource, I highly recommend checking out therapy and one way to do that is teen counseling. Teen counseling is BetterHelp's branch of their company specifically for teens. They have over 14,000 licensed therapists in your network that can help you with a whole host of topics, whether it's anxiety or depression or suicidal ideation or stress, relationships, you name it, they can help support you. What you are going to do is go to teencounseling.com slash persisted. You fill out a survey about what you're hoping to work on, you are a match with a therapist that specializes in that area, and then you can start working with them via talk, text, or video counseling, depending on what level of support you are looking for. Super fast turnaround. You don't have to deal with long wait lists or trying to get referred by your pediatrician or local provider. It is a great solution and hugely effective. I mean, therapy changed my life. It saved my life, as we talked about in this episode. And so I I highly recommend giving that a shot if you haven't already. And one way to do that is teen counseling. So again, teencounseling.com slash persisted to try to check it out today. So that is the things to keep in mind section. We're now gonna talk about crisis management. And then after this, we're going to talk about long-term decreasing suicidal ideation and building your life worth living. So a lot of dealing with suicidal ideation and suicidal urges is the crisis management. It's the moment when you're having this urge, when you're having this thought, and it's tolerating the distress in that moment. An important caveat to add before I give you these skills is that distress tolerance skills only stay effective if we only use them in moments of extreme distress. The more we use these skills, the less effective they are. And a good example of this is like your comfort TV show. Mine is The Office. When I'm having a rough day or a rough night or I'm stressed from school, I'll put on The Office and it's so soothing and calming and I love it and I laugh. But if I watched The Office 24 hours a day, every single day a week, it wouldn't be calming. It would be like background noise. It'd be white noise. Maybe it would get even annoying. So we reserve these skills for when our emotions are really bad so that they can maintain their effectiveness and help us when we really need it. So the first skill that I want to give you is the stop scale this is from the distress tolerance module of dbt or dialectical behavioral therapy and it is an acronym that stands for stop take a step back observe and proceed mindfully most of the time i think of the stop scale through the lens of anger or an argument or maybe sadness or anxiety where if you're super anxious about something you would stop you would leave the situation you would work through that anxiety and then re-enter it But I want you to think about it from the perspective of an urge. So, if you have a thought in your mind, it's like an intrusive thought, and you're like, wow, this is a suicidal ideation that has just popped into my brain, and now I'm feeling some distress about that. Stop and take a step back from the urge. Rather than entertaining it and listening to those emotions and starting to feel the distress and going down that thought rabbit hole, instead, take a step back from the urge and be like, okay. I just had this thought p- pass into my mind and I noticed that when I have the suicidal ideation, I then feel stressed. I feel anxious. Maybe I feel hopeless. Maybe I feel overwhelmed. Maybe I feel angry. Whatever emotions, observe those and then decide how you want to proceed. And if it was me, the way that I would proceed is doing that thought rewiring, which we just touched on. So I would say, You know, at one point it was really effective for me to cope with what I was experiencing by entertaining these suicidal ideations. But now I know that being suicidal and entertaining suicidal ideations isn't within my life worth living. That's not the life that I wanna live. And I have so much hope for my future and I wanna be around for that. And I know that no matter what challenges are thrown at me, I can navigate them effectively. And for that reason, I am choosing not to engage in the suicidal ideation and I actually want to be here and I want to continue to live life and see this challenge through to the other side. Whatever that looks like for you. Then you proceed mindfully, you continue on with your life. So kind of rethinking about the way thoughts happen. They're not happening to you. You kind of have the decision to engage in them, to go down that rabbit hole spiral, or you can kind of like nip them in the butt and rewire them the next skill that I want to mention is the ride the wave skill. This was probably the most relevant skill for me when I was struggling with suicidal ideation. And this skill is really simple. The idea is that everything is impermanent. It comes in waves, whether that's an emotion. I use this skill when I get headaches because the intensity of the headache will give and take. Like It'll it'll be more intense, then it'll gradually decrease. And I kind of like wait for those moments of decreased pain because I'm like okay this headache is going to go away it's going to be fine but the idea is that you experience your emotion or your urge or your thought as a wave so it's coming and it's going you're not trying to get rid of it you're not trying to push it away but you're just experiencing as it comes and goes you're not blocking it you're not suppressing it you're not necessarily trying to keep it around or entertain the idea you're not holding on to it you're not amplifying it you're simply just letting it happen and the great thing about this is that you can really hold on to those moments where it's less intense when these urges feel so scary and overwhelming and a lot to deal with and handle you can hold on to those moments that they they go away and that they're less present and they're less intense and you can remind yourself that that lower intensity will return. The next skill is a huge one, and that is distraction. When you're having these really intense urges, distraction is one of the greatest things that you can do to get yourself out of your head, to stop engaging with these thoughts, emotions, and urges. So distraction is pretty straightforward. There are two acronyms in DBT that are used to kind of break down the distraction skill. And I'm not going to go into a crazy amount of detail here because I'm sure you guys know how to distract yourself, but... In dbt the way that they break it down the accept skills activities contributing comparisons emotions pushing away thoughts and sensations so engage in an activity help someone else compare what you're currently feeling with what you've previously felt like we just talked about with those urges generate a different emotion maybe you watch a funny tv show maybe you watch a scary horror movie you invoke a different emotion than what you're currently feeling you push away This doesn't mean that we're avoiding all of our emotions and thoughts together, but you're like, you know what? I'm not going to think about this right now, or I'm not going to entertain this thought right now. I'm going to put it on a shelf and we're going to come back to it later when I have more emotional capacity to cope with it. Thoughts. You are, again, rewiring those thought patterns like we talked about, and then sensation. So self-soothing, using the five senses to calm yourself. So listening to music, drinking a smoothie, smelling a nice candle, watching a funny TV show, petting a dog, using those five senses to calm yourself. And then the improved skill is using imagery, meaning, prayer, relaxation, one thing at a time, vacation, and encouragement. So with the improved skill... You are using imagery to calm yourself, so maybe you imagine yourself in your happy place. Maybe you imagine yourself getting to the other side of this urge and feeling okay with meaning. You are finding meaning in what you're experiencing. For me, this came after a while. Like When I was in crisis mode, meaning wasn't a skill I would use, but once I had started to decrease these suicidal ideations and was like a couple months into this process, and once I actually started the podcast, I was able to think about the suicidal ideations I had struggled with and these urges and realized this has given me a really interesting and unique skill set to help other people and speak from experience and share what worked for me and finding a purpose in that pain. Prayer, this can either be if you are religious, you can either use a prayer or even just the repetition of having something to think through can be really effective relaxation, do things that relax you. Again, you can use the self soothing five senses. One thing in the moment, you are doing one thing, you are being mindful. So if you are, I don't know, I'm going to go back to drinking a smoothie, you are just focusing on the sensations, the taste, rather than also having your mind be somewhere else with an urge and being overwhelmed and watching a TV show and having a conversation, you are just breaking it down to one thing in the moment and getting through that one moment vacation you are either physically or mentally taking a vacation from the emotional distress so you imagine you're somewhere else maybe you take a walk you take a break from what you're experiencing and then revisit it again similar to the top stop skill and then encouragement this is like a little pep talk for yourself you're like i will get through this it will be okay this too shall pass this moment won't last forever etc we talked about self-soothing the next thing is the pros and cons skill. This was another really big skill that I used when I was struggling with really big suicidal ideation. I remember doing a pros and cons when I was in the hospital, hospitalized for suicidal ideation. And the idea is that you pros and cons living, which if you've never been depressed or never struggled with suicidal ideation, you're probably like, what on earth are you talking about? But if you are really struggling and that is actually a decision that you are making, it can be really effective to have a list and get really clear on all the reasons to stay here, all the reasons that you love your life, all the things that you look forward to, all the reasons to stick around. And I would take this a step further. And any time that you feel something that brings you joy, any time you're like, wow, this is pretty cool or I love this. Write it down, whether it's in your notes app, whether it's in a journal, whether it's on your hand, anything and everything. Have a running list so when you have an intense urge, you can go back to this list and say, these are all the reasons I want to be here. These are all the reasons I want to stick around and these are all the reasons that I love life. And even though right now it doesn't feel that way, there's a lot of reasons why this life is really beautiful and amazing and why I want to continue to be here and you can also pull from that list as ways to build your life worth living which we'll get to the next skill that i want to touch on is your coat box so this is an idea that i learned in dbt group where you make a box or like a little bag if you go to school and you want to put it in your backpack but it's all coping skills that you use in crisis so Some things that I had in mind was a printed out list of the 100 coping skills. And those are things like go on a walk, pet a dog, like all these tiny coping skills that you can use that might not immediately come to mind. A book that you like, maybe headphones to remind you to listen to music. Um... Another one is those little ice packs where you pop them and they get cold. So using the tip scale by putting ice under your eyes to decrease your physical emotional intensity, maybe a piece of gum or a lollipop, like a piece of candy. I would put notes in there from family members or friends, maybe a movie, like a DVD, just reminders of how you can cope and be effective without having to think of all those things on top of trying to cope with an emotion. And you can make a travel version for your backpack in addition to like a bigger version in your room but the idea here and with the next skill i'm going to mention is to make things easy for yourself when you're in crisis mode you don't want to have to be trying to figure out how do i cope with a crisis and then implementing your skills you just want to implement and you want to make things really easy for yourself when you're struggling and you're more emotional and you're not able to pull from that rational side of your brain So the next thing is a crisis survival plan, and I will link this in the show notes, but what you do is you write down your warning signs. So what are the thoughts, feelings, behaviors that come up when you are triggered, when you're in crisis mode, and this could be different for anxiety versus depression versus suicidal ideation, but if we're doing this one for suicidal ideation, what urges come up, what thoughts come up, what emotions come up, what behaviors are you engaging in? You're going to list out some people that you can reach out to so that is going to be maybe a friend a family member a parent you are going to put their phone numbers there because you're making this really easy for yourself you're going to also list some crisis professional resources maybe that's your therapist phone number maybe that is your local hotline maybe it's the crisis text line which is text 741741 and i think the word is home there's a lot of them <laughs> i'll put it in the show notes But what are the professional resources you can utilize? You're also going to include the coping skills you can use. So how can you distract yourself? List your top three, and maybe those are in your coat box. Then you're going to list from past experience what helps you when you feel this way. Is it taking a shower? Is it talking to a friend? Is it watching a movie? You're making this super, super easy for yourself. And then the last thing to include here is ways to keep yourself and your space safe. So maybe it's asking a parent to remove things from your room. Maybe it is doing a sleepover with a friend so you're not alone. I slept on my parents' bedroom floor for six months because that was what was necessary to keep myself and my space safe. Maybe it is cluing a teacher in or a friend in so they can just keep an eye on you and and check in. So All of those things are meant to make your life easier when you're in crisis modes. You don't have to plan and implement. We're just going to implement and we're going to do the work beforehand so that we're not double stressed. Okay, the last tip for crisis management that we are going to give is to take things really slow. I touched on this, but I want you to not think about how I'm gonna get through tonight when I'm so deeply suicidal and having so many urges every three seconds. But how am I gonna get through how am I going to get through the next thirty seconds? Am I gonna do some deep breathing? Am I gonna get in the shower? Am I gonna take a walk? Am I gonna watch a TV show? Like literally just thirty seconds. Then you're gonna say, how am I gonna get through the next minute? how I'm gonna get through the next five minutes and break it down incrementally and just take it minute by minute, day by day. Don't think about this long-term life worth living when you're in crisis mode. And then I know that I said that was the last thing, but I've touched on this in the crisis plan, but ask for help. What I The worst thing I think that people could come away from this episode with is thinking that you need to do all these things by yourself. No, my hope is that you have so many people in your corner to give you ideas on how to cope, to be there to support you when you're at your lowest, to check in on you, to remind you that they want you and love you in this world. So ask for help when you're in crisis. That was probably my number one skill was to call a therapist or a friend or a parent and just have someone around me ask for help. Is that phone coaching? Is that a helpline? Is it texting? Is it just spending time with someone? Is it doing a movie night? Have people in your corner. I don't think anyone should be expected to navigate suicidal ideation by themselves. And if anything, I think being by yourself adds to those feelings. So if there's one skill, I know I said this stop skill was important and distraction and self soothing but number one is ask for help. Again, no one should have to deal with this alone. And so I think if there's anything that you take away that you implement, ask for help please and my dms are always open i also forgot to mention that if you ever are like i literally have no one to talk to and i just don't know what skill to use right now and i need support send me a dm i will do my very best to get back to you and be there for you because anyone that has struggled with this before i i think would want to support someone on the other side of it and that's true for me so always here always here to support in any way that i can okay Now we're going to talk about long-term building your life worth living and decreasing these skills because crisis management skills are really helpful in the moment, but like we talked about, if you implement those all the time, they lose their effectiveness. So what do we do to decrease suicidal ideation over the next week, month, three months, six months, etc.? the first thing that I want to mention is getting really clear on your life worth living. Your life worth living, I've said that a lot of times during this episode, is an idea that is a key pillar of DBT. You're working towards this life worth living because the idea is that if you are in your life worth living, you are no longer struggling with suicidal ideation because your life is worth living. So one of the first things that you do when you start DBT is you get really clear on what that is and you get really clear on what you're working towards. What is your goal and what does that life look like? How do you cope with your emotions? What does your support system look like? What does your daily routine look like? Do you, can you actually engage in school and feel passionate about what you're learning? Do you have healthy relationships? What are your hobbies? How do you spend your free time, etc.? write that out. Maybe you draw a picture. Maybe you put it in your notes app and you remind yourself again and again and again, this is what I'm working towards. Because when you're abstractly kind of pursuing this goal of getting better, it can be really discouraging. It can be it can cause you to feel really hopeless especially if you don't identify emotionally with that concept if you're like I don't remember what it feels like to be happy so how can I possibly work towards that goal that was something I struggled with so much so get really clear on what this life would look like if it was worth living and and start making incremental steps towards that point and when you do get into that that crisis mode remind yourself this is the end goal I'm I've already made so many steps towards getting to that point, and this is why I'm going to keep going. The next thing that I want to mention here is routine. So routine is something that is but really common across the board when it comes to mental health. If you've ever been in a treatment program, they are really big on routine. It's like you get up at this time, then you take your meds, and then it's breakfast, and then we do this group therapy, and don't forget we have this one hour of room time. And that's the same whether it's like an outpatient, an inpatient, a residential, a therapeutic boarding school. They are really big on schedule. And I'm sure there's logistical reasons for that with staffing. But routine is also shown to be really important for mental health and have really positive impacts on mental health. And I felt this firsthand, but the research also backs this up. So there's three reasons that I want to give you to implement a routine. The first is that decisions can increase stress. And when I when I wrote this down on my bullet points, I immediately thought of Steve Jobs and his like black turtleneck and he didn't want the stress of like, or the mental expenditure of like choosing an outfit in the morning. So he's just going to wear the same thing every day. Like that's not really what we're going for here. But trying to decide in the morning, like, okay, am I going to make eggs and bacon or cereal and get my nutrients in when you're consumed with like stress and suicidal ideation and depression that's a lot to add to your plate and the end goal there is just to get nutrients in your body so you're not more emotionally vulnerable so if we can just decrease that stress and take that out of the equation and have a routine that you stick to you're not adding more fuel to the fire and you're not adding more emotions when you're probably already very emotionally sensitive and reactive and overwhelmed The next reason I want to give you that routine is helpful is that many, many, many things in life can't be controlled, whether that's other people's actions, their beliefs of us, a lot of sometimes our schedules, our commitments, our relationships, so many things can't be controlled, but in many ways, your routine can. And so... Because of this, if you can have a consistent routine that you stick to, you can garner a sense of calm, a sense of reliability, stability, and this is a game changer when your emotions and your mental health don't provide that. So for me, I have a really consistent routine that I stick to. I get up, I wash my face, I brush my teeth, I do my skincare, I do my makeup. If I'm wearing makeup that day, I do my hair, I get dressed, I make my bed, I make my coffee, which I look forward to every day. And then from there, it's kind of up in the air. Maybe I have class, maybe I'm working out, maybe I'm meeting a friend, maybe I'm studying, not really sure what happens. But then at the end of the day, I come home, I shower, I put on my skincare, I do my hair, I put on my lotion, I put on my pajamas, I watch a TV show, I read before bed. And that morning and end, those bookends of the day are really consistent. All of those things within the routine are really calming. They're really reinforcing. They bring me a lot of joy and I can count on them. They're very grounding for me. So if you can have these little things in your life that bring you that reliability, that stability, and that calm throughout your day, it can be a huge game changer with regards to your mental health. The last thing to add about routine is that it helps you stay on top of behaviors and habits that are really important for your mental health, which will gradually improve your baseline. So in DBT, there's an acronym called PLEASE, which helps you decrease your emotional vulnerability by staying on top of your physical health. So you are treating physical illness, you're eating balanced, you're avoiding mood altering drugs, you are getting enough sleep, and you are exercising in a balanced way. So you are decreasing potential stress and dysregulation that could come from not eating enough, from drinking too much coffee, from skipping taking your meds, from not exercising so you don't have any endorphins, from being sick and being so physically depleted, all of these little things that could make navigating emotional situations worse. You're trying to avoid that from happening. So for your routine, you're not only giving yourself the sense of calm and stability, But if you have a morning and night routine with what you're eating, so like in the morning you have your cup of coffee and then you have these three nutrient-filled breakfasts that you choose from and after school you come home and it's dinner time and these are your four favorite dinners that you choose from throughout the week, you are solving for being hangry or emotionally overwhelmed from not getting enough food or nutrients. Same thing if you have this consistent morning and night routine where you wake up at the same time every day, you go to the at the same time every day, you're solving for getting enough sleep and not being emotionally overwhelmed from that. Again, another example would be meds. Maybe you're, for me, my med time is at night and it's built into my routine so I never miss it. And if I do miss it, I notice I'm like something's missing, something feels off, what did I forget to do? You are avoiding potential emotional dysregulation that could come from not taking your meds. So if you stay on top of your routine, you are Also staying on top of behaviors and habits that are important for your mental health and over time that improves your baseline. If you want to get better about building habits, Atomic Habits, it's such a good book with so many applications to mental health, I highly recommend. And it's like a normal book. You've probably seen it all over TikTok. It's not like very heavy and dark and all these crazy things. It's just about building habits and improving your routine and it's a great resource. The next thing that I want to talk about is emotion regulation. While the distress tolerance skills are helpful in crisis, emotion regulation is what will help decrease these suicidal ideations long term. And so one skill that is really important here is accumulating positives. We just touched on this in your morning routine, but having things that improve your mood and make you happy and make you joyful allows you to add to that pros column that we talked about. So if you are having a really bad urge and you are having a thought where you're like, I have nothing going for me, everything sucks, you go back to that pros column, you go back to these positives that you've accumulated and you say, you know what? I have all of these things that make my life worth living and all of these things that make me really happy. So it's not true that I have nothing going for me and nothing to look forward to because I have all of these things that bring me joy. And long-term, accumulating positives and planning moments of joy decreases the distance between your highs and your lows and increases your emotion regulation. Some other things that are important to implement but are hard to boil down and tell you how to do on a podcast is healthy relationships, having good communication with your loved ones, and having people that care about you and support you and want you to be okay— therapy or treatment is really really effective and helpful especially dialectical behavioral therapy when it comes to suicidal ideation it's proven to decrease it and there's a lot of studies that back that up and so if you have noticed you're having these thoughts try and find a dbt therapist near you try and see if they can help you decrease these emotions and feelings in addition to trying these coping skills when you're in crisis mode Then the last thing is having structure and commitments. I think a really big thing that can be tied with suicidal ideation is not having a sense of purpose or somewhere to show up and get to, or I have to be at class, I have to be at this meeting, or I have work to show up to. So trying to build your routine and your schedule, or you, you have places to be and people to interact with and things to look forward to can be really helpful in increasing that sense of hope. Today's episode is brought to you by Prime Student. You guys know I am a huge Amazon Prime fan. (laughs) Going along with last week's trend, this week I ordered myself some chip clips, and they are cute colors. I love them. I am obsessed. My grandmother also sent me a little contraption that makes a very loud noise in case there is a safety issue. So, those were my Amazon orders. We love Amazon Prime. If you are a college student, you can get Amazon Prime Student, which is at no cost for the first six months. After the first six months, it is 50% off the normal price of Prime. With Amazon Prime, you get free shipping. It's super fast shipping, like a couple of days turnaround. And with Prime Student, you also get access to LinkedIn Premium, Grubhub Plus, Course Hero, Student Universe discounts, free calm premium subscription and so many other partnerships that have been created with students in mind it's an amazing deal i'm obsessed again use it on a weekly basis as you just heard so if you would like to check out prime student you can go to primestudent.co join student again that is primestudent.co join student and you can order atomic habits which is what i recommended in this episode the last section of this episode is listener questions and there's a lot But i'm going to try and go through these really quickly to try and touch on some topics that i didn't already mention the first one is tips for feeling passively suicidal and how to deal with the recurring thought that you want to die but you know that you're not actually going to hurt yourself because you can't hurt the people around you so feeling suicidal without intent so this is called passive suicidal ideation passive suicidal ideation is when you have thoughts of not wanting to be alive but you don't necessarily have intent or a plan and so the tips that I would give here is to start building your life worth living. It sounds like that life that you're operating in and working through isn't one that feels worth living. It feels like you have a a need to show up for other people or you feel like you should. You, you don't want to add that burden to other people. So I would get curious on how can you adjust your life to make it feel more worth living and more enjoyable and more hopeful? Is that relationships? Is that a routine? Is that a behavior? How do you feel navigating the challenges that come up? Is it your coping skills? Is it the people in your corner, etc.? So kind of rethinking that and working towards that goal and seeing if those urges shift as well. I would also say to anyone that is struggling with passive suicidal ideation to start really working on your support system. I'm not saying that your suicidal ideation will shift and develop and get worse potentially, but if that's something you already know you're struggling with, you really want to make sure you have a good support system so that if you ever need it, which it sounds like you probably do right now anyways, you have that in place and you have those people to lean on and you have those people in your corner. The next question is advice on specific language to use when talking to your parents to tell them that you're depressed and need help. This depends are you, whether your parents, maybe there's a lot of stigma in the way they think about mental health. Is it that they think you should just be capable of navigating this independently? Have they never felt that way before? I would go to your school counselor or a a local counselor, potentially your pediatrician, and have them looped in on the conversation. Having an adult that's in like a kind of professional position to also provide resources and say, hey, I think this could be helpful, can be really powerful to convince a parent. And I would also, another tip here is to make an appointment. Prepare your parent. Like, hey, I want to talk to you about something really important. When would work for you. And also go into that conversation not expecting to get a response immediately so maybe you go in you make your ask you use a dear man you can google that like a dear man dbt and it'll tell you exactly how to make a request to get your objective met i've mentioned it in episodes before but go in make your request and give them time to think about it Next question. What are the steps I should take if I'm concerned about a friend who might be suicidal? So as you will hear in next week's episode with the there's a lot of tips there. You can call 988 if you have a friend or a loved one that's suicidal and you don't know how to support them. So that is one thing I would definitely mention. I would say first, make sure that your own mental health is okay. Supporting someone that's suicidal is a really challenging and emotionally exhausting thing. It puts a lot of pressure on you, it's very overwhelming, and it can be very stressful. So I would make sure that you are in a good spot and you have the emotional capacity to support them, and if not, set boundaries. And I'm not saying you leave them on their own to navigate this independently, but maybe you're there as a safe space, as someone that they can spend time with and laugh with and you're always there to spend quality time with them, but you're not the person that they, like, give such super graphic details of the thoughts that they're having. Like, that's for their therapist. You're there to just have quality time with and be a safe space. So, depending on what level of emotional support you can provide, set those boundaries. Yeah, and, and try not to be judgmental. Try not to problem solve. Just be there as a listener, as we talked about in the episode with Michael Slepian being vulnerable and sharing a quote-unquote secret or just being vulnerable about anything that you don't talk about broadly a lot of the times it goes a lot better than you think it will even if it's like a subpar response from the other person you see that as a positive experience that's what the research shows so even if you're just neutral and you're like wow that's really difficult i'm sorry you're feeling that way the other person will see that likely as supportive and helpful and an overall positive experience next question when does suicidal ideation become serious so Like I mentioned, there's a difference between active and passive suicidal ideation. Passive is thoughts without an intent. Maybe something like, I don't really want to be alive or I hate life. I mean, that's not really suicidal ideation, but like, I just would rather not be here or things like that. Whereas active is with intent, whereas active is with a plan, it's kind of more fleshed out. And then the the second thing there is with or without a plan. So, is there a date? Is there a time? Is there intent? And when you get into the with a plan, with intent, with that's when you would want to call nine one one, call nine eight eight when someone is really at risk of being a harm to themselves, and and they they need more professional support than you can likely offer. Um, when they're in that passive camp, it's difficult because you don't want to see anyone suffering to the degree that they're feeling suicidal or they don't want to be here. And there's also kind of that acceptance of, okay, even though this is so incredibly painful, they're not necessarily a danger to themselves right now. So this might be a long-term something that shifts with lots of time and, and effort and conversations and skills usage, but there's not that, that quick fix, which is a difficult thing to, to grapple with. The next question is, how can family members of someone with suicidality support them? So again, you can call 988 if you're worried about the person, especially if they're getting into that spectrum of being more active and with a plan. The the key things here are to be non-judgmental, just to kind of be there as a listening ear, create a safe space for them, make them feel okay and comfortable coming to you and talking to you if they need support, avoid problem solving. I think most people... I mean, like, can you even solve suicidal ideation? Like, that's something that is really difficult to solve. I suppose you could be like, well, like, what does your life look like now? What do you want your life to look like? Let's make a 12-step plan to get you there. Like, if I was suicidal, that would be hugely unhelpful to me because you're probably so emotionally exhausted and overwhelmed. You just want someone to validate and support you and to feel seen and feel loved and supported. So don't problem solve, just be there for them. Love them, support them, tell them that you would miss them if they weren't here and you really value them as a person. And again, if you feel out of your wheelhouse, if you feel like you need help, ask a professional. So call 988, talk to your pediatrician, talk to a therapist, talk to a school counselor. All of these people can give more information on how to navigate this. The next question is, why was 13 Reasons Why so problematic? So 13 Reasons Why is a show I have a lot of beef with. I've never watched it, but a study done in April 2017 by the National Institute of Mental Health showed that there was a 28.9% increase in suicide rates among youth aged 10 to 17 in the month following the show's release. I don't even know how to follow that. Like any show that leads to a 30% increase in adolescent suicides, there's a huge red flag there. And there's it, something's not right. And the way that we are portraying suicide in the media, if there's a 30% increase, that just feels so not right and so not okay to me. And it's, it's so saddening. And the National Institute of Mental Health, again, they, they say that it it highlights the necessity of using best practices when portraying suicide in popular entertainment and across media it's just so so saddening and and so concerning and yeah i don't even know what to say i'm at a loss for words because it's just anything that causes that much of an increase in teen suicide is hugely problematic personally Like I said, I never watched a show. That's a boundary I've set for myself because around the time that came out in 2017, I was suicidal, I was going through treatment, and then I was just newly not suicidal. So engaging with content that was that graphic and potentially triggering was something that I had a feeling would not be good for my mental health. So if you are someone listening and you haven't watched it or you're like, oh, like, I don't know if that would be good for me to watch it. Maybe not. Maybe set that boundary. Think about it. But yeah, that's that's the data there if you're not familiar with that. It's heartbreaking, it's terrible, and it's again shows why it's so important to be intentional with how we talk about suicide. And I hope that I've done that well or somewhat effectively in this episode. Two questions left. One is what was the number one skill that helped you overcome suicidality? I touched on a couple Riding the wave of urges was huge. Distraction really gets you through those moments, but asking for help and having people in my corner that were continuously helping me move in the right direction in therapy and treatment and building my skills usage and continuing to use that muscle of of coping and and working towards my life worth living was huge. But I, I mean, consistency with those things was really what made a difference. The last question is how can universities who have a suicide in their community best respond? What programs should they fund? What support should they provide, etc., to do their best to prevent future repeat incidents? This is difficult because the data does show that when there is a teen suicide, there can be repeat suicides or it can be triggering to other teens. And talking about it and bringing a lot of attention to it and glamorizing it can have negative impacts. I think at a minimum having extensive skills education and resources be very transparent so emails going out saying if you are struggling with grief or you are struggling with suicidal ideation or if you are struggling with more stress this week these are the skills you can use use the people you can call these are the resources currently available i think getting really curious following such a tragedy on what caused this person to feel so overwhelmed and alone and like this was the only option was it relationships was it the amount of stress they were experiencing was it unrelated to school and like whatever it is getting curious and then trying to solve in the future is does that mean changing the way that teachers schedule exams and tests to decrease a workload to not cause that much overwhelm does it mean providing more resources so people feel that there is an option or someone that they can go to when they feel that way yeah i it's hard and there's not an easy answer and I had a conversation about this in one of the mental health clubs at Penn last week and the students that had gone to the events put on by Penn following student suicides weren't seen as very effective and very helpful. And so it's hard even if the best of intentions are there it's not always received well. It's not always it doesn't always land. And so It's very difficult, but I think skills education and resources and transparency of how you can get help if you need it is huge. And then looking at how you can change the culture of the university, if there were specific factors that led to that, are are some good steps to take. And getting curious, talking to students, talking to friends of that student, talking to peers, family members, and trying to not have any other students in that position in the future is a good place to start. So that was a lot. A very heavy episode, but I I hope it was helpful and I hope that you can come away with this with some really tangible ways you can support someone or you yourself cope with these emotions and urges if they arise. Hopefully they never do. Again, the best case scenario is that you never have to apply anything in this episode that you just listened to or that you are never familiar with any of this. That would be amazing. And We live in a world where many people struggle and many people in our lives struggle and I would rather us be prepared and feel capable to support them than to be at a loss of like, I don't even know how to help this person and I'm just so overwhelmed. So I hope this was helpful. As always, if you found this episode to be supportive and informational and helpful, share it with a friend or a family member. If you have any questions or any thoughts after this episode, be sure to DM me. I would love to hear how it resonated or if there was something you wish was said differently or if there was something that wasn't effective. That it's really helpful feedback for me. And yeah, I it will include a ton of resources in the show notes about hotlines and suicide prevention educational resources and awareness and companies that are doing amazing things to help Individuals that are struggling with suicidal ideation, and so yeah, that that's it. Thank you for listening. I will see you next week for an amazing part two of the series with Adia, where we talk about what happens when you call a hotline, what to expect, some resources that she recommends, what she tells people when they call a hotline, so some skills that you can implement that they would recommend, and just generally within the suicide prevention industry, what is happening, where she hopes that where she sees that going, how we as a society can improve the suicide prevention work. Thank you for listening or watching. I really appreciate all you guys. And yeah, I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of She Persisted. If you enjoyed, make sure to share with a friend or family member. It really helps out the podcast. And if you haven't already, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also make sure to follow along at at ShePersistedPodcast on both Instagram and TikTok and check out all the bonus resources, content, and information on my website, ShePersistedPodcast.com. Thanks for supporting, keep persisting, and I'll see you next week.